Good morning, Oikos. How are y'all doing? Thanks, Adrian. It's Ken's birthday today. He's not in here today. Otherwise, we'd all sing happy birthday. But this morning, the story is about a lot of men more than... Thank you. Okay, so we'll start again. Today, the story is actually about men. And we are in a series that's supposed to be all about women. The woman in the story appears at the beginning and at the end of the story. And if you would doze off during part of the story, you'd probably miss that she even existed. But when we look at Scripture, that often is the case that women are in the background. But just because they are in the background doesn't mean that their significance is diluted or that they are unimportant. In fact, Lydia, who we'll soon hear about, I think as you get into the story today, you're going to realize how important her faith was even as a new believer in Jesus. When we look at this character, what I want you to do is step into the shoes of at least one of the characters today as we listen to the story in just a few minutes. And the way you do that, you just simply try to view it from their perspective. So maybe it's Paul that you step into and you try to, as you listen to those words, try to see what Paul might have seen. Or if it's Silas, that you try to see from the point of view of Silas as you hear those words of the story. Or perhaps it's Lydia that you step into today. But it's going to be important because the material that we have about Lydia is slim at best. But I think within the story we start to see her great character. So let's take a listen. Paul said to Barnabas, It is time we visit Galatia and see how the churches are doing. Barnabas agreed, so they went to Galatia. There they found a young man named Timothy. He was highly respected by all of the believers, so Paul encouraged him to join their ministry. One night, Paul dreamed he saw a man saying, Come, cross over the sea and help us. Paul awoke and knew this was from God. Once they sailed across the sea, they went to a city called Philippi. They spoke to a group of women who had gone to the river for prayer. One of them was Lydia, a woman who sold expensive purple cloth. She listened to Paul preach, and then she and her family put their trust in Christ. After they were baptized, they convinced Paul to use their house as the home base for his ministry. Sometime after, people grew frustrated with them and wanted to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. The city officials agreed and had the two men beaten publicly. Then they were taken to jail, where the jailer put them in chains. Around midnight, Paul and Silas started praying, singing, and giving praise to God. Suddenly, an earthquake shook the foundations of the jail. The doors flew open, and the chains fell off the prisoners. The jailer woke up and saw that the doors were open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he pulled out his sword to kill himself. Paul shouted, "'Wait! Don't do that! We're all here!' The jailer grabbed a torch and rushed into the cell. He fell down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your family. 
The jailer took them to his home and Paul explained the message of Christ. The entire family believed and was baptized. The jailer then washed the wounds of the men and served them a meal. The next morning, the city officials sent guards to the jailer. They said, You may release those men and let them go their way. Paul sent a message back to the city officials. We are not leaving. We're Roman citizens, and you had us beaten publicly and thrown into a jail without a trial. Now you want us to leave quietly? We're not going. If you want us to leave, you'll have to come and personally release us. The city officials were shocked when they heard that these men were Roman citizens. They rushed to the jail and quickly apologized. They personally brought them out of the jail and asked them to please leave the city. Paul and Silas didn't leave right away. They went back to the home of Lydia and encouraged the believers in Christ. Then they left. So in today's story, Paul had a plan. He was going to go. He was totally engaged in making sure that the word of God was spread across the world. And he had a plan on where he was going to go. But God wouldn't let him do it. And why? Because God had a divine appointment for Paul. Now Paul didn't know who that would be. Paul just simply knew that at a point when all his plans got changed, then God appeared to him in a vision. And we see that in Acts chapter 16. And if you want to read the story in its entirety, that's where it's from, Acts chapter 16. So 16 verses 9 and 10. That night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now stepping into the shoes of Paul, as I kind of thought through this, I had made plans, I was going to go to a certain part of the world, God said, then he gives me a vision to go to this other place. He says, and in the vision, it's a man. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I bet Paul was thinking, okay, we'll go to Macedonia. I'll be looking for a man. Because there will be a man there that's saying, you need to help us. Come and help us, Paul. We need your help. And throughout... Paul's missionary journeys, we know a couple facts. One is, he would always go first to the local synagogue. Why would he go there? Because those people were people who believed in Yahweh. And it was a great place to start. If someone believes in Yahweh, someone believes in God, you've got some common ground. You can talk about God. You can talk about the Old Testament. And then you can start showing how Jesus has fulfilled everything they've been waiting for. So he'd go to the synagogue and he'd start preaching. Normally what would happen is that he'd start preaching in the synagogue, people would get mad, try to kill him, they kick him out of the city. Sometimes he'd come back, do the same thing again. I mean, he's incredible. But remember, we're talking about Lydia today. So I want you to think about, here's Lydia in the midst of this whole story. Paul goes to the looking for the synagogue in Philippi, which is in Macedonia. But evidently, there were not enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. So I imagine Paul walking through the streets of Philippi, this commercial center, asking people, Where, where's your synagogue? And they're saying, no, we don't have one, we don't have one, we don't have one. 
until he comes across some people who say, we don't have a synagogue, but we do know there's a group of women who pray down by the river. Now, this doesn't fit with his vision. A man asks for help. But he goes down to the river where the women are praying. And instead of finding a man, he finds a lady named Lydia. 13 and 15 of chapter 16 says, The Sabbath we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. She urged us until we agreed. The author of is Luke. Luke is a great historian. He doesn't put details in there unless he thinks they are significant. So when you read the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see a lot more details than you'll see in any of the other Gospels. And then you go into Acts, and you see again a great historian writing the story of the beginning of the Christian church. Now he could have recorded a whole bunch of things about this encounter. He could have said, we went down to the riverbank, there were women praying, and we ended up at one of their houses. Move on. Instead, he decided to make sure that he wrote down the name Lydia. And then he did more. He wrote down her conversion story. There's some simple things that she did. She listened. So when you're looking for someone whose heart is open to the gospel, it seems pretty simple, right? But you're looking for someone who listens. In this day and age, I think you guys have all been around non-listening people. How many of you have been on a helpline trying to get something done? Do you feel like they listen? No, they don't listen. In fact, I just assume they're not going to listen when I call in and you're supposed to get help and you've already told the recorded person all the details and then you get on to the next line with the person and they don't know anything that you just said. But it's supposed to be all in front of them. And then you start talking to them and they want to sell another product, but you're actually asking about something else. In a world where we don't listen, a heart that begins to turn to the Lord does. She listened, and then her heart was opened. There's something key about conversion. We have no control over it. Too many faithful believers of Jesus beat themselves up because they're trying to share Jesus with their friend. And they feel like, maybe I didn't do it right. But only the Lord can open the heart. 
Jesus says, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I'll raise them up. Jesus had chosen Lydia before Paul ever met her. It's key in the story. And this is why it's a divine appointment for Paul. The next part is that she accepted. you, but you can That doesn't mean he's not persistent. She accepted, and then she and her oikos was baptized. They knew that in this awesome thing of baptism, where we know that the Holy Spirit engages with our heart, marks our heart, and calls us a child of God. We are no longer foreigners. We are his children. That's the first thing that she does. And then immediately after that, she practices hospitality. Now Luke didn't have to say any of these things. But he begins to dictate the character of Lydia. She was a brand new believer heart on fire. She was red hot for Jesus. And she wanted the people who had just given her this revelation to come and stay at her house. Now this sounds like a right? Start him a new church. Paul doesn't have to do anything. No miracle happens. He doesn't have to like one from the dead. He doesn't have to take poison out from a snake that bit, bit him. He doesn't have to do anything other than say, hey, Jesus loves you. And Lydia goes, yay, let's start a church. What if we did that? What if we did that here? That's what we're going to talk about. I love Lydia because she is a person who's on fire for Jesus and she never seems to, in this story, let fear overrule her faith. What happens right after that is Paul and Silas basically say, sure, we'll stay at your house, we'll get headquarters. We're going to go out and do ministry. And so they start to do ministry, and immediately they engage with a person who can tell fortunes. And they, she's a slave of other people who are using her, using her to make money. And she persists after Paul says, please, in a sense, help me. So they do. And the owners get mad. A mob begins to form. And guess who they want to kill? Who do they want to kill? Paul. Just know that when you read stories about Paul, if someone wants to kill somebody, it's usually Paul. Okay. Here's verses 22 and 23. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now you've got to step into the story here. A mob. Is a mob two people? 
three people. A mob is many people. Could the city have not known that this was happening? The other people in the city? Absolutely no way. When a mob forms, the city knows what's going on. Everyone in the city knew a mob had formed. They may not have known Paul and Silas, but they knew two people were being beaten. And they probably found out their names later. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Now I want you, Lydia, she has just been converted. She's welcomed Paul and Silas into her house. They're, maybe they cheered after their baptism, had a little cake and party, right? They're all celebrating. Then Paul and Silas leave, and all hell breaks out. Now, when I look at Lydia, I think, man, most people, most people would have said, yeah, I'm done with this. This, this Jesus thing is a little extreme. If you're going to get beaten to believe in Jesus, I don't need that. Remember that she is a wealthy, prominent woman, business woman in this community. Wealthy, prominent business people have a status to maintain. Tonight, Sarah and I were at a gala, and it was for a great event. I wore, you all saw it. I thought I was pretty dressed up. We walk in there, almost 90% of the guys are in tuxedos. Immediately, I said, I think I'm in a different class. <laughs> We started looking around at the event, at the things that were for us. And the opening bids for many of them were four, $5,000. And I said, huh, I don't think we're going to bid tonight. <laughs> but people in the room, what I noticed is they all knew each other. They all knew each other. I didn't know them, but they knew each other. Lit would have rolled into that crowd pretty easily. She's wealthy, and she was a woman that seemed to have resources available to share. It's more than likely that she was a widow seems to indicate that she may have had children, may have had dependents. She definitely had servants under her care in her oikos. Remember, an oikos at that time was a family, extended family. An oikos would be those who all kind of lived together within one compound possibly all engaged in one business. So it would be any of our companies today, that's kind of like an oikos. 
Well, this is Lydia. That she was the leader of it. So not only did she need to concern herself that she was in status, possibly going against that status since there was a mob out to kill Paul and Silas and she just invited them into her house. But could she also lose her business because of it? And losing her business would mean that her care and concern, her responsibility over her oikos would be threatened. Some of you know how protective a mom can be of her children. Many of you have known bosses that take care of their staff. That's a hard place to be when you think everything's going to be threatened. Paul and Silas were welcomed, even maybe know about it so maybe she could get away with it she just stayed quiet but as you get into the story that's not what she does when Paul was prison I hope you guys can you all hear me okay it feels like it's going in and out but I'm going to speak louder when I feel like it's going out when Paul and Silas left the prison they returned to the home of Lydia there they met the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. There's no record of Lydia saying, I'm not opening the door. In fact, if you get into this, she does even more than that. She was operating with faith over fear. If you remember anything from this message today, remember faith over fear. Even with a new faith, faith over fear. Now, what did she have to fear? She had to fear retribution. She had welcomed Paul and Silas in once. They got in trouble, imprisoned, freed. The mob was still angry. She welcomed them again. Any one of her associates could have been so angry with her that they'd stop all business deals. Loss of her business, loss of her relationships, loss of her physical well-being. What they did to Paul and Silas would likely happen to her. She had a lot to fear in retribu retribution. She did faith over fear. I bet many of us show our fear over faith where we work. Now, we don't even normally, I can't account for all your places of work, but I don't think you are in fear of being beaten physically, right? Stripped, beaten, severely thrown into prison because he said something about Jesus. But there are real fears there. I know some of you have hesitated when it comes to sharing your faith within your business place. I know that some 
feel that maybe we should just keep it real separate. But it seemed to show a different example. I know there are a few of us that have shown, but many of us on at least one occasion have shown faith over fear. Because I've heard stories from you where you've said, I don't know what came over me, but I felt like I just had to pray with my coworker. I needed to just share that there was hope in Jesus today. For some of you, you also said, I texted that verse to my boss because they're going through a rough time. These are all examples of showing faith over fear. You're taking a chance, a chance of rejection, a chance of retribution, but you're listening to the Spirit of the Lord work on your heart, sharing Jesus with those who could, who could have retribution against you. Some of us within our friends and our family is where our biggest fear lies. It's having that conversation over Thanksgiving and saying, you know, we haven't really talked about Jesus at all today. Let's talk about where we are spiritually. That's showing faith over fear. Oftentimes we find ourselves in those family dinners Operating with fear of faith, though, right? Because it's different when you see each other face to face and you're sitting there and you have to have that conversation. What's happening with Jesus in your life? All of a sudden it becomes real intimate and it's a person that knows you and they know your heart. They know your past. They know what For many of us, we just don't want to go there. So we shut it down and we talk about something else. Oh, isn't the weather pleasant right now? It's a beautiful day. But we won't create or we won't talk about the one who created the beautiful day. Lydia leads us into a different encounter. She's willing to put everything out there. Not only with those people outside of her oikos, but those within her oikos. Remember, this is not an easy decision. Number one, to be a woman in that day, being a business leader. Being responsible for an oikos, that wasn't normal. She probably already was rejected many times by people, thinking she couldn't do it. Now remember, she receives the faith down by the river by talking to Paul. And they walk back up the river to her oikos. And she announces, we're all going to get baptized. You don't say we're all going to get baptized and not have to explain something. That means she had to share her faith. Her faith of like two hours before that. Or maybe it's 15 minutes. I don't know how long the house was from the river. We don't have those details. But she exhibits great faith. 
And she doesn't care if she's rejected in her own oikos or in the community of Philippi where her business is centered. She also faces the fear of being unprepared to lead. How many of you have felt that way within the church? Unprepared to lead. So in this short story about Lydia, notice she receives no instruction. Paul doesn't say, well, after we get done with this conversation, Lydia, then I'll walk you back up to your house and I'll talk to everyone in your household. Then we're going to do a baptism. And basically, I'll stay here for the next three years and make sure you're ready to open up your house for a church. She also spent limited time with Paul. This is like, hey, let's go have a coffee. And by the end of it, Michelle and Jim, you're starting a church. See, we, we look at that, we go, what the heck? But guess what? That's who we are, people. I hope you're getting that. This is the message that the Lord is giving you today through Lydia. We have to stop thinking that fear is the number one thing in our life we need to be concerned about. Start jumping into faith, knowing that God does absolutely what we cannot do. And he's chosen you. He's already appointed you. Stepped in this place to lead for him. Limited time. Very for maybe a few days to a week. Faith over fear. What we see that when she brings, when Paul comes back, there are a couple notes that we need to just concern ourselves with. When Paul comes back to her house, I want you to notice that he comes back to the house and it's not just Lydia that's there. It's Lydia and other believers. So what does it take to get other believers to your house? Invitation. Look at that. I love that word, right? Many of you get sick of that word, but it is a wonderful word. Invitation. You invite. But you have to do so with faith over fear. You invite people when you think they're going to reject it. You invite people when you go, I don't know if I even have anything to say. You invite people when your house isn't quite ready. This last week, I shared a story. I think it's appropriate for right now. You guys are worried. Um, I was out with my kids, and we were working on a little project that they wanted to do. And these neighbors that we hadn't met before just happened to walk by, and they really loved our shed. And so we started talking to them, and then I said, well, if you want to see it, it's open. I said, it's kind of a disaster right now because we're working on projects. But go ahead and step in. So they stepped in. And then they said, oh, we really love your house. I said, well, Sarah wasn't home, FYI. I said, well, if you want to see it, come on in. I had only met these people 10 minutes before this. 
So we go in the back door, not the front door. And immediately, as we're stepping in, I started thinking, did I pick my underwear up? <laughs> I don't think I did. Then I started thinking, did we, um, oh, crap. Sarah has been working on laundry, and our laundry room is like, I mean, we have four kids. It's crazy in there. The kids were all home. So just, that's what it was. And we start walking through, and what I'm doing is going like this. <laughs> so this is this. This is this. And then I, I walk in the bathroom, I'm going, please kids, please, I hope you flush the toilet. <laughs> and I don't know what had come over me, but I led them through our master bedroom and to our bathroom, which I was pleased to know my underwear was picked up. They saw everything. Do I think it was a divine appointment? Absolutely, I think it is. So did we walk through? Do we know where they live? Are we looking for that opportunity to meet again? Yes. But if I exhibit fear, they would never enter our house. If I thought that they would be disappointed that our house wasn't immaculate, they would never enter our house. If I exhibited fear that they were going to do something, they would never enter my house. If I thought I wasn't prepared enough to host them, they would enter my house. Many of you have said, I don't feel prepared because I'm not very good at praying with others. Or see if these excuses, if you've heard them. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't know if I really engage people or tell who Jesus is. Or I'm not sure if I've got the theology down well enough. I want you to think about Lydia. Because not only did she exhibit this faith over fear by gathering believers into her house, inviting them to come there, hearing, I'm sure city leaders go, what are you doing? We've arrested these guys. Why are you continuing with this nonsense? Lydia continues even beyond that because then we find out from Paul that he leaves, right? In the scripture, all he says is, we came back, we encouraged them a little bit, and then we bolted. The truth is, is that we will never be com completely prepared for what the Lord wants us to do. That doesn't mean we don't plan. In the story, Paul has been making plans. And they're plans because he wants to take his responsibility as an apostle of Jesus seriously. But he also knows and recognizes that the Lord will change your plans as he decides or deems fit. And he is flexible enough to be looking for a man 
but instead find a woman. He is flexible enough to see that the Lord has appointed Lydia to open up her house. He is flexible enough to step into her house. Not once, but twice. And tell them, carry on. Be a church. Worship here. I believe that Lydia may have thought about this verse. Because what a huge responsibility. In a time when there weren't Christian bookstores to go pick up a curriculum. She couldn't just step by a local congregation and go, Hey, pastor so-and-so, could you help me out? She was alone. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. Show you which path to take. What happens to Lydia? I don't know. But we do know that Paul will later write a letter to the church in Philippi. And this letter is full of encouragement and joy. Lydia may have returned back to her hometown. Find out in Revelation that there is a church that was started where she came from. Maybe she went back there and started that one too. I don't know. But I do know that if she would not have opened up her home, it would tend to seem that there would be no letter to the Philippian church. But because she did, we received a letter that has been read for the last 2,000 years. And Paul says this in chapter 4. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. This generosity that existed within the Philippian church started with Lydia. We don't know if she was part of the church at that time, but she marked the church with her DNA and the way Jesus worked through her. So perhaps you came here today and you didn't realize you're going to start a church. You guys excited? Here is an example in the Bible. You cannot refute it. That all it takes is to invite a few people over and let the Holy Spirit do his job. The Lord has given us so many more resources than Lydia ever had. We are so equipped beyond what we could ever be to start many, many more churches. Sometimes we look at this goal of 100 churches and 1,000 MCs as impossible. But when we pray and believe that the Lord is going to do it, there's a guy who, in many movements across the world, there have been awakenings that have happened. We haven't seen it here in the United States, but in India, a guy began a process of praying. 
started praying, started meeting with people. And in maybe 10 years, over a million people received Christ. It wasn't him, but the Lord began with him. I believe the story about Lydia is that you have to begin. Did she know that Paul would write a letter to the Philippian church later that would be read for the next 2,000 years? No. Did she know that their gathering would continue? No. Did she know that Jesus loved her? Yes. And did she want to share that? Yes. Did she want to be generous about it? Yes. So if you hear the Lord pressing upon your heart, be generous. Love as I've loved you. I believe you're ready to begin a church. And you could hear the silence. <laughs> now, does that mean people don't walk alongside of you? This goes against the Great Commission if we believe that. Because Jesus said, make disciples by baptizing and teaching. But you've got to first baptize. And so in church planning, you actually have to start planning churches. That's who I believe the Lord has placed upon Oikos as a family. And we may not plant a hundred, or we may plant a thousand. That's up to the Lord. But I want us to operate with faith over fear. Because Lydia shows us what happens when you simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today to look at the character of Lydia, this incredible woman who basically has three sentences in the Bible about her. But in the context of this story, Lord, we see that she does something beautiful. You gave her faith. Lord, for those who are assembled here, you have also given us faith or the invitation to have faith. Where we are weak in our faith, Lord, we ask that you would grow confidence and clarity. Allow us to take those first steps. To not be concerned about how it's going to happen or where or who or what. But to simply open our home and invite people in. Lord, may we also be prepared for the things that you would teach us as we do this. That you will teach us patience and kindness, perseverance and love, forgiveness as you use us to lead others closer to you. Lord, continue to speak into our lives each day as you always do. We thank you for being a good father. We thank you that you're in this with us. We thank you that you have created this church called Oikos and that you have placed upon us this desire to start more and more Oikoses within your kingdom. And we know we're not doing this alone. We know that there are millions of people who know you as father. And they're in a bunch of different churches across the globe. 
I pray the same for them, that they would be encouraged today. That they know that they can operate with faith over fear. Because you are our God who said and promised, I am surely with you to the ends of the age. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us these words to pray as a prayer that we can say every day, knowing that they're your words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.